The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Ashley. And we are The Articulate Coven. Ashley, you know my favorite thing about the Mayfair Witches series being on the air right now and us talking about that right now? What is it? My favorite thing of all is the fact that I do not live or die by other people's opinion of this show in the same way that I did (laughs) and continue to of IWTV. You know, whenever I read criticism of Interview with the Vampire, whether I agreed with it even a little bit or not, it, I, did you it take it very personally? Hackles and I immediately sort of jumped right? to defend the show. I did. I took it very personally, very, very personally. Like someone's talking about your mama. I there have been there's been some strong criticism of this show, especially for, I would say especially from our group. I think generally the the reviews I think at large have been largely positive, not as overwhelmingly in love as the reviews for interview, but still largely positive. However. From our own group, I've seen several different voices that have said, man, this is way off track at differing levels of whether they're going to be able to continue to enjoy it or not. But it seems like our little corner of the Internet, at least, is much less happy with this adaptation than the previous one. And thankfully, I really don't care. Actually, it turns out (laughs) I've seen the first episode now. I've listened to a lot of that feedback. And it doesn't affect me one way or the other. So um, so that's my overarching thoughts about this. Uh, how do you feel now that we bask in the glow of, of the first episode's release? Okay, I loved it. I was, I was really skeptical um, of this one. And I don't know why I was a little nervous about it. I was just, I don't know. I, I, I didn't feel as like as prepared for it, I guess. I don't, and, and maybe that's it. I don't know. Hell, I really liked it. And I really like the changes they've made, the way they've adapted it. I think that we're going to get this like kind of flashback and flash forward um, kind of uh, storytelling throughout this. So I feel like we're still going to get our, you know, still going to get our backstory of all of our very cool, beloved witches. Um, I really think that the way that the changes they've made and a lot of the things they've done is really clever. Um, and I, I've, there were a couple of things I found myself really grossed out and creeped out by, which I was super excited by, you know, and just my initially my initial on this first watch, I got to say, I'm way more into it than I thought I was going to be. I am not. I'm not into I'm not more into it than I thought I was going to be. I I will say I didn't expect this one to grab me in the same way that uh, interview does. I've never loved the Mayfair Witches in the same way that I loved uh, the Vampire Chronicles. We just finished talking about this first book, and I told you, I told everybody, I hold these main characters, Rowan and Michael, uh, in particular. I hold them at a remove uh, for as characters. I, I do not fall in love with them. I do not connect with them in the same way. And I got to thinking about it today. Is it just the Vampire Chronicles? No, it's not. In particular. Uh, the Mummy series, Ramsey's the Damned, which, if I recall correctly, is also not written in first person. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong there, but I don't believe it is. Um, I love I love all of those characters, honestly. No, I think you're right. I don't think it is. Yeah, I love the Mummy. And then if you go one step further, it's Servant of the Bones, one of her standalones, one of her single book, uh, you know, adventures. I really, really loved that one. I, rec- I now I've, I haven't read it since the very beginning, since I since it came out. But I loved it when it came out. I am looking forward to revisiting it. Anyway, I, it's not just the vampires that I love, but I don't connect with Rowan and Michael as much as I do later with Mona. I, I've always liked Mona more in Lasher when she really comes into her own than I liked Rowan. Right. And then later Mona reappears in the VC, and I I enjoy her appearances there. Whereas Rowan in her appearances and crossovers sort of felt a little weird to me. Anyway, I was I was okay with this just being a show. And I think it's gonna be a better than average show. Overall, the the feeling that I'm getting, the sense that I'm getting from folks that don't, you know, live and breathe the Mayfairs and Anne Rice in general, is that they might like this one more. The one comment that that Kelly really had uh, and I mentioned this in our group, but you know, my wife, she's not an Anne Rice reader. She doesn't know this world. She is a reader. She wanted, to, I, I said this once before right. that she doesn't, God. 
she ha- she's not a reader. I meant she doesn't read these books. She knows how to read and she does read for fun. Anyway, um, she doesn't read these books though. And she doesn't, you know, have this deep abiding historical nostalgia or love for the Mayfairs or for any of Anne Rice's characters. And to her, this series, at least in its pilot episode, feels, as she put it, more straightforward than uh, Interview did. It felt less insular or like a world that's, you know, you have to really unlock to be able to enjoy, which is kind of the way that she described Interview. She She's thankfully got a translator and me sitting beside her anytime she gets, right. you know, confused or wants something expounded upon. But here she didn't really need it. She was, as a matter of fact, leading our discussion when we were talking about the things that happened in the first episode because she felt like she got it all understood what they were driving at and and overall enjoyed it both of us had a few comments that were negative but generally she's into it and i think i think a lot of people like her are going to be into this ashley well and i think that a lot of that has to do with the way that they've fleshed out the story and it's you know you're we're seeing most of this in a in our modern day we are, we're getting some flashbacks with deirdre so far and um and those are fantastic, but for the most part, we've got a story about a woman who's tough, smart, ambitious, afraid, and alone, and and she's trying to figure out what, and something fucked up's going on in her life, and she's trying to figure out what is going on, and what she is, and who she is, and I think that that's something that almost everyone can relate to, you know, that, that journey of self-discovery that so many of us go on, and have to, you know, that all of us go on, figure out, figuring out who we are at the core of ourselves, figuring out who, who we want to be, um, and also, you know, when you have something that feels so aberrant happening to you, to need answers, and I think that that's such a great way to set this, set this her going home up so well, they explain why they didn't you know why she didn't have the Mayfair name and it's all things that wouldn't matter to a a person just watching it it makes sense it's like hey you can't you got to give these things up to have this baby you know that makes all makes sense it doesn't feel like it feels like you're going to learn the lore as you go along not that you already have to be in on the secret if that makes sense yes yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And I think that's exactly what Kelly was getting at. It, it is it is interesting. It occurred to me, Ashley, we never really set the table for who we are and what this is if somebody's joining us for the first time. Oh, yeah. We just ripped into it. We are the unofficial podcast for Anne Rice's Immortal Universe and all the shows from AMC and AMC Plus. In particular, uh, tonight we're going to be covering the Mayfair Witches episode one, season one. Uh, the Witching the Hour premiere. is the name of this episode. And uh, Ashley, that right there is what I want to start with as far as our discussion of this episode specifically you've you've got a, a great um uh, take on rowan that i want to get back to but right from the start something struck me as a little off about this show uh in comparison to interview with the vampire which came before we've covered that previously in episodes if you haven't watched that show or haven't listened to our coverage please go back and check it out there's a lot of good stuff there but th- this title i think was one of the things that irked me the first time i watched it i didn't really understand why the second time i'm sitting there watching the uh creator's discussion at the end of the insider episode piece after the the episode is over which love it thank you amc for doing those hbo's been doing those for several years i love them me too I wish all the streaming services did them simple doesn't have to be you know three minutes long that's plenty you know whatever but give me a little something about this episode specifically a little insight some of the creative team amc continues to do that yeah exactly exactly but on this one it finally struck me why i didn't like it the titles, all of the titles of Interview with the Vampire episodes came from Anne's poetry directly. They come from her dialogue, from her lines within the original book. Not all of them are in the quote-unquote right place or even from the right character, but many of them are mentioned directly in the episode as well as in the title. Sort of a cool way to tie things together, and every time you you read it, you get a little glimpse forward into what that episode is going to be about if you're a book reader, and you know it's a nice moment when it comes up in conversation from the characters themselves. Um, here, they're not doing that. They they call this episode the witching hour, and the uh, I, I forget her name, but the creator that was speaking at the end says that they wanted to use that title because they wanted to you know call out from the beginning that they're really telling specifically the story of the first book here. And I took that to mean, honestly, and at the end of this episode, I take it even more so to mean, they're really telling Rowan's story here. I don't think we're going to get a whole lot of depth this season on the family at large 
and I think that's one of the reasons why we have it. Like Cortland, for instance, as a living character here instead of someone in recent, right. you know, dead memory uh, for the story itself in modern day. I think he's going to be our tie to a little bit of the historical. I think we are going to continue to get maybe some more young Deidre, but that'll be the extent. And it'll be season two before we go into the depths of the files of the Talamasca, which I guess makes sense based on the way that they're setting this up. And again, th this is all me reading into a lot of this one comment with the title of The Witching Hour. Here's my here's my problem, though, Ashley. I guess that makes sense if that's what they're going to do. But The Witching Hour is a title of one section of the book already, and it's a section that comes much, much later, effectively at the, you know, the, the climax of the book. Th there's nothing in this episode that calls to mind that title or or says to me that this is the witching hour. In fact, you know, this is a, a very spooky setting. It very much reminded me of early seasons of American Horror Story, you know, or something like that. I think they're very much going for a similar vibe. And hey, that's a big audience that's already out there and probably, uh, you know, maybe didn't watch Interview with a Vampire. So kudos to all of that. But it just, it struck me as wrong. And I think it boils down to this. This is the difference. I think for Interview of the Vampire, they found, they found people, creatives, at, you know, in the writing room, the directors, the actors, etc., that are in love with the source material. And I think here, they found people who are very competent television creatives. And there's, I don't know that that this one might not work better as far as like a success on TV than giving it to people who are in love with the source material. I think there's something to be said for the fact that this source material is not as poetic as Interview with a Vampire. We don't, I mean, it's not, it's not nearly, the language is not remotely the same to me at all. I think it's a lot harder to like drum up some, you know, beautiful romance in some of in some of the language in this in in this particular book. It's just not it's not as as uh it's not as flowery, it's not as poetic, it's not as, you know, imagery evoking. It's kind of more meant to evoke emotion instead of, you know, this like this th this beautiful lush imagery just a very different it's a very different books to me very different styles of writing within them as well and i think it could be just as simple as like this is you know we're we're calling it the witching hour because that's the name of the first book and this is where we're starting boom chapter one off we go you know what i mean i don't i i think that it's a lot easier to to write in a lot of that poetry when it comes to um the vampire chronicles and maybe that's again maybe that has so much to do with our preference for it you know but i will say i do love these books a lot i do enjoy them and i think i'm probably a little feel a little more connected to them than you do um and maybe that's more like just me connecting a little bit more with some of the characters you know um but yeah, I think that, you know, it's just not, it's just not the same. It's just not as um, flowery and, you know, I don't, I don't smell, I don't smell things. I smell the mustiness of that house and I smell the dust. I don't smell like the night blooming jasmine. You know what I mean? It's just not as easy to fall in love with the words. That's very fair. Yeah, no, that is, that is a hundred percent fair. Um, you uh, were talking before I so rudely interrupted and reset the table on this episode, but oh no, we got specifically it. about our protagonist here, Rowan. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we got to we got to start from the beginning, so to speak. But uh, I want to get back to Rowan here and hear your take on Alexandria Daddario. We we talked a lot about her in the lead up to this in our discussions on Dorian and and in our discussion of the Witching Hour novel itself. But um, what did you think in this first episode? How how has Alexandria set the table for you for Rowan? She feels tougher than I expected her to now i expect that from rowan but i wasn't sure to me alexandria daddario has this very kind of delicate sort of fragile quality to her and it was really cool to see her kind of push past that and change my mind about her um her voice is perfect her voice is so great um that's something that's really very um, pointed out in the book, very specifically Rowan's voice. She's got like a whiskey voice. It's a lower, lower kind of purring sort of voice. And I love that, that she, she sounds so good. Um, I was, I was, um, she, I, I'm interested to see how, how, how it goes on, but to see her kind of 
kind of flex her badassery when she went off on that doctor. You know, both times she went off on the doctors. It just, it was, I was nice to see that side of that character that I was afraid wasn't going to be there 100%. And then also, Rowan likes to fuck. Like, Rowan wants to fuck. And I'm glad that they, we got a taste of that in there too. Like, there's, they're showing her as this, as a well-rounded character because she, and she truly is as far as the way she's written, she's got a lot of complexity to her. And, um, and I think that it's really great that we're like right off the bat episode one, you're showing me a lot of different facets of her. Uh, yes, absolutely. And you know what? I agree with you on her toughness. I do think that that in particular, uh, I love the scene where she is washing up after the surgery with the I don't know what that other woman's position is, but the you know the the woman attending that was with her, and she yeah. comes into the room and is immediately like, "God, that guy's such a menace! Thank God you were there." And Rowan's like, "Hey, lower your voice. This is our jobs." And then even as they're having a real discussion about it, kind of on a lowered tone, Rowan's like, "Yeah, but listen." I was there. It worked out fine. And if I would have just outright called him on it, it would have been way worse for everybody. And she's like, yeah, maybe, for, but not for you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I love the fact that she is navigate in that one scene. I think that was one of the best scenes in the whole episode, in my opinion, as far as Rowan's character, because it did a great job of shorthanding yeah the way that she's been able to navigate the politics of a male dominated industry where she's clearly absolutely risen very high at a very young age, which by the way, I will right, say absolutely. Alexandria does a great job of displaying Rowan's youth in a way that the novel does not. Rowan is very young, much younger than Michael. And yet in the novel, they always feel like contemporaries. Whereas here, they really do. Alexandria That's really true. Appropriate for Rowan's age. Yeah, she does. I totally agree with that. Um, I loved the relationship with Ellie, with her mother. It was lovely to see them being so close. They ditched the stepfather that she killed, which was, um, you know, not a bad loss. <laughs> you can kind of move the story along that way. I think they did a really good job of of getting this story off to the races. You know what I mean? Like, we're not fucking around. Here we go. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the next couple of episodes go as far as how long we're going to let Deirdre live, you know, like... It's, it's going to be very interesting to see how the next few episodes go. So I, I won't mention it here. We'll mention it at the end of the episode when we're talking about some speculation. But there, Oh, that was a total Facebook, spoiler a speculation too. Sorry, someone. y'all. <laughs> I, I, no, 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 not at all. A couple, there, there have been a couple of um, posts on our Facebook group, though, that mentioned some I, IMDB listings for characters' appearances. Uh, that that yeah. would sort of give you a hint at how long this might go. So, but we'll talk about some of that at the end of the episode. Speculation on how this will unfold. I'll tell you, I'm I'm pleased because I genuinely thought Rowan would be in New Orleans by the end of episode one, based on the trailer, based on the way that I thought this was going to play out. Also, based on the f- fact that I assumed it was a six or seven episode first season, like Interview with the Vampire. I think it's actually a full eight episodes for this. So. Um, I think they're going to have a little bit more time to breathe than I thought they were going to. The other thing that you have to realize is we don't really know anything about Cyprian yet. So they haven't had to develop at all the character of, you know, Michael, quote unquote, or Aaron from the novels that Cyprian Grieve is replacing. So you had a full hour for Rowan's growth basically all together. Right. Let me insert here something that I didn't think about in watching it at all, but I realized in retrospect when I talked to Kelly, she thought that this was happening, and several of our uh, our listeners said so in either our Discord group or our Facebook, which, by the way, we've got a great Discord community and a great Facebook group, depending upon which one you'd prefer, or maybe join both if you're uh, just up for it. Uh, those links are in the show notes. Check them out. But in one of those places, someone brought up the the idea that, they, and first of all, they're not a Mayfair reader. They had not read these books, even though they're a Anne Rice fan. So they went into this thinking until very late in the episode, actually, that what we were seeing was the story of Rowan as both a young woman and an old woman. They thought the character of Deidre on the porch in the catatonic state was, was Rowan. actually Rowan as an old woman. Oh. Yes. 
And in retrospect, watching it the second time, knowing that Kelly read it that way too, I watched it with that eye. And I got to tell you, I think they very specifically, uh, and I didn't realize this at the time because I knew when that scene, when the doctor comes to the porch to see Deidre, I know that's the present. And then I knew that we were looking at Deidre's because I've, I've read the novels, right? And then I know we're looking at Deidre's right. youth there. And so I know, you know, okay, well, we've got to go back at least 20 some odd years. So this is what the seventies, maybe or the eighties. Um, and, and when she's that young, and I guess in retrospect, let's see, Rowan's younger than I am, so it would actually be more like the '90s or the or the early 2000s. Even <laughs> right. if this is real modern day, boy, that's that's head screwing to think about the fact that Rowan's probably like 20 years younger than you and I are, Ashley. Yeah, 100, percent absolutely. <laughs> We're not quite 20, but close. Not quite 20. Anyway, because um, she did go to she did go to med yeah. school. Right. So realistically, I guess I guess Rowan's probably got to be 29 or 30 at this point based on like the level of med school. And then she's already full. She's a she's a full doctor at this point. She's a surgeon. So um, anyway, I'm slightly off track. That concept of playing <laughs> with timelines and sort of setting up people's expectation and and being like, oh, we're telling one story, but no, we're telling two. And it's you know, we're telling the story from both ends to meet in the middle kind of thing. I hadn't read it that way at the first since I know this novel so well and we just talked about it. But I do think that's the way it's going to play for mainstream audiences, which to me, I immediately go, oh, are, are they maybe going to continue to play with timelines in this way so that we see like mirrors of moments? For instance, I'll skip ahead slightly. The final scene or the, the basically the final, the, the climax of this episode, which is is Rowan's birth we see in the past with Deidre and we see Ellie's death in the present day with Rowan and the, the mirror of Ellie's death and Rowan's birth is a beautiful moment and I immediately flashed forward to some moments in the book I won't spoil and mention here but there are a couple of moments right. at least I can think of that you could see new scenes extra scenes that would mirror that would do that same thing and mirror either a birth and a death or maybe a wedding and a death or something you know so Anyway, I, I got yeah, a wedding and for funeral. That. And um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, I, those converging stories, uh, converging timeline kind of ideas is, first of all, that's a trope that I think, you know, quote unquote normal audiences understand, even from something like Lost, where eventually that oh, had yeah. like a sci fi explanation that this show won't have. But the idea of that we're going to tell stories, or this is us. You know, which tells like a modern storyline with the kids and then the storyline of mom and dad in the 70s or whatever, or 80s, raising them. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we're all used to that kind of that kind of structure within within a television show, for sure. I mean, that's I mean, it's very common. And I think it's a great way to kind of delve into such a, you know, such a giant, giant source material. I mean, this book is effing huge it's like almost a thousand pages long so i think they're being very judicious with what they're cutting and snipping and 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 just getting to the meat of the story so far has been really great um and i'm with everybody that's like i feel your concerns about you know losing some really great characters but already I'm, i feel like better about it than i did you know and i'm you know i'm very very um i'm a very positive <laughs> member of any fandom i'm like i even liked the prequels and star wars so you know i'm maybe not the best judge of everything but <laughs> i am i'm looking forward to seeing like how 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 much of this we get that's kind of part of it for me too is like how much of the story do we get and how much of it are they going to hold off and maybe we don't get that that part of the history until season two and maybe it gets delved out in little bits and pieces the history of the mayfair witches over the entire course of the series as, as opposed to like this is part of how we're going to introduce this first season and this first book because the action of the first book is Rowan. It is Rowan's experience. It's Rowan finding out who she is, finding out her family, finding out her like her place in the world. And then it's her moving the ball forward from then on. It's her like she wanted to start the, the, the hospital. She wants to do all these great things. She wants to use her powers to save lives, you know? Yes, absolutely, and and she and she will do all of those things at least, or, or would, if not for a certain uh, floaty invisible man, sometimes that that has his own way. Um, let's let's talk for a that moment. invisible devil penis. Let's talk for a moment. Let's talk for a moment about that invisible devil penis. 
Um, yes. My wife was unimpressed with Jack Houston. I kind of wondered if she would be swept off his feet. She was not familiar with the actor Jack Houston playing Lasher here. I know him from uh, Boardwalk Empire, and I have all day I've been trying to think of the name. I don't know why I haven't Googled it yet. The, I forget his character's name, but he was a good friend of the the sort of the main character in season one, Tommy. They had been to war together. He's got a bad injury. He's, you know, half of his face is missing, and he's got a, a mask, a prosthetic, uh, you know, portion of his face that that covers this up, and he wears it with like glasses that that hold it onto his face. His character has the most satisfying arc of the entire show, and it's a great show from top to bottom. I'm pretty sure I've praised him already on this on this podcast when his uh, casting was announced, but I was ready to love his character before this, this show premiered. I wondered if Kelly would fall in love with him. Like I was sure I was going to, she came away very unimpressed. Doesn't like his haircut. I, doesn't really like his, voice. I'm a little meh. And she's like, why? I'm a little why, meh if myself. He's, if he's, if he's like this super sexy ghost that's haunted this family for a thousand years or whatever, like you, that's the, you couldn't find a better looking dude. And she likes, you know, well, why, handsome why does the suit, not why does the suit jacket not fit? I mean, like, why does his costume <laughs> not fit? That's not Lasher's fault. That's costuming. <laughs> no, but that's like, seriously, like that's part of, part of it. Because I'm with her. I was kind of like, eh, meh. He didn't really have me until he got scary, you know, until it was that scene with young Deidre and he was very scary. Like that, that was when I was like, okay, maybe this is why they cast him. So I'm not giving up on him as being grand yet, but I'm not sold. I'm not sold at all. <laughs> I don't know who else I would have cast, though. I I agree with you that that's a great scene from him. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Who are you? It's uh, it's almost like, and we talked about this with Lestat before we got Sam Reed. It's like, who do you cast? We don't know. We don't know the person, honestly. We we want yeah. somebody who can fill the role, and casting directors generally know better than we do. And God knows, the casting director and director in this case have spent much more time with with Jack and lots of other options than you and I have. I'm sure they know what they're doing. And Jack's a very fine actor. I'm sure that this is going to come off fine in the end. Here's the one knock that I had in, in the first episode. I did enjoy his performance generally. I love his vocal delivery and the way that they make him appear and disappear and come around the room and he's sort of ever present. I think all of that is very good. Here's what I... And, I do and like I, that. I just think it's totally unnecessary. So it wasn't executed well and it wasn't necessary and the combination of that really bums me out. That same scene where he's sort of, you know, and it's interesting, it's... You know, there's the scene in Job where God, Job is is sort of appealing to God towards the end, and God is questioning him. It's one of the greatest lines in the whole Bible. It's one of my favorites. He says, "Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth?" And I, anytime I I think about like grandiose, you know, egotistical human beings, I think of that line. <laughs> Where were you when I laid yeah. the foundations of the earth? I think it's just one of those humbling moments, right? Yeah, but but um. Here, Lasher has that moment sort of where he swells his grandiosity, you know, uh, what's the line from Aladdin, you know, uh, great cosmic power, itty bitty living space. That's sort of Lasher's deal here. He swells himself up and he's sort of like puffing himself up for Deidre, <laughs> but they go and show it in this like weird morphing transformational thing where he's, I'm I every loved woman, it. I'm no person, you know? I thought it was I gross and scary. Like, I understand. <laughs> It was a little gross, I guess, especially the three-headed version at the end. I th like that's, I, I guess, maybe a little bit, yeah, body horror. We talked about body horror last week in the, the episode about the novel, and are we going to get some of that? I definitely think we are, by the way, based on this first episode. I just didn't love those effects. I thought they were a little cheap, and in particular, it was one of the moments that really showed, in my guesstimation, I haven't looked up the hard numbers, I bet they spent less money on this show than they did Interview with the Vampire, and that's one of the places where I felt like it showed. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that I think that Lasher is a is a tricky character. He's like, so I love The Stand by Stephen King is probably it's my it's my favorite book. It is the 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 villain in that book, Flag has been horribly miscast every time anyone's done anything 
to do with this character. And I don't understand why they can't get it right. And I've seen people get cast in it that I thought would kill it and then proceeded to be not grand. So I think that it's tricky, these kind of these kind of supernatural characters that are supposed to be in in one way terribly horrifyingly frightening and in another way completely attractive and seductive it's just a tricky tricky casting call you know it is it's it's gonna that's why I'm not giving up on him yet I'm gonna give him a chance because I do like his voice I do like but I really I hope his suit I just I'm real mad about that costume I'm real mad about it takes takes me right out of it I feel like those buttons are just clinging to life and that is not a large man give him a half inch in the back of that for christ's sake maybe in uh maybe in amc's cost cutting maneuvers what they'll do is they'll combine the costume they got rid of their tailor of, of the witching hour <laughs> and interview with the vampire so the interview with the vampire folks will just get to make the costumes for everybody since these worlds and he's wearing over. a tiny suit um <laughs> okay so yeah, yeah, he's wearing it. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Maybe they'll give him a real suit that fits. I mean, all of Sam Reed's fits were excellent, right? We talked about the fashion there. Surely somebody can just send some notes over and we can get Houston sized up properly. Oh, my God. Well, no, that's what I'm confused about. Okay, also I have to bitch about this. What's with the fucking long sleeve nightgowns in New Orleans? It is hot. It's so hot. <laughs> it's so hot. Like it, the cost. That's another thing that I was a little like, Jesus, Jesus, witches. Like, my God, can we have a, a tank top in here at all? No long sleeves. Bless. Poor Deirdre. Man, that house, that house feels, uh, smoldering if nothing oh else, i hate it, it yeah you i love how sweaty the doctor the was like boy it's hot in that house yes yeah, yeah you could see like, like the heat he waves like he was, almost like guy, he looks like the guy that comes out of the house in forrest gump and he like wipes oh my god face. after like, yes yo mama showed us care about <laughs> your education care about your education <laughs> <laughs> yes he's literally like i loved it that was one of those touches that i was like oh hell yeah it's hot in that house and they're making sure we know it it's uncomfortable there it is not a warm happy home it is a stifling place of <laughs> hellish mischief i am really really hopeful that we are going to get a scene where Carlotta, either as a young woman or as an old woman, I don't care. Either one will work fine. Maybe oh, both. Yeah. Even. Give us both. I want to see her. I want to see her attempt to burn the house down. <laughs> you know, like either lash or stop her. Right. Or oh, me too. Yes. I'm. Yes. This Carlotta has absolutely tried to burn that house down before. <laughs> This actress is such a badass. I love her so much. She's always fantastic in whatever she's in. She's such a great character actor. And I've heard, I, there were a couple people in our Facebook group that were like, I'm not sure she's mean enough. Oh, I guarantee you, this bitch is going to be mean enough. I could feel it just simmering in her. Yeah, we just haven't. So we Honestly, we didn't get, we only got, you know, a couple of moments with her dragging Deidre out of the car um, you know, and scolding her on the way up to the room before the party scene at Cortland's and then Ugh. at the end when she's <laughs> giving the baby away. That's that's about it. Yeah. And uh, I'm telling you. So that's where I wanted to go next. I wanted to talk about Harry Hamlin. I wanted to talk about Harry Hamlin here for a minute. Um so what a creep. Uh, you mentioned earlier the um the oh boy. Boy, what a creep. What a tremendous, what a creep. tremendous creep. I think, I'm so glad he's such a creep. Like, so they, first of all, they've done this very well. <laughs> no, they did. They did. They absolutely did. Uh, I, we mentioned in last week's episode about the novel, the uh, lack of Julian's appearance in any of the IMDb listings or casting announcements and and everybody kind of panic, panicking about that in that they've written him out. I don't think that they've written him out. I get a sense that Harry may not be around for like the long haul of this series. And the idea is that they were going to go really over the top with Cortland in the modern day. And because of that, Julian would feel like an echo or Cortland would feel like a bad Abs. echo. And now you get to do that across seasons, right? You get to have Julian's story perhaps in the second season and he won't be in Cortland's shadow. It'll feel like, oh, this was where Cortland got it from. 
Right, right. It's like every generation it gets, well, not only, it's, that's not accurate. It's not accurate at all. But it's like, what it's something interesting about this is that it's Cortland, <laughs> it seems like Cortland knows what Lasher wants in a way. You know what I mean? Like, he's like luring Deirdre in to, you know, deliver a child. <laughs> For Lasher. So I'm wondering if like he's going to we're going to see some some of that that Julian had that familiarity with Lasher. Julian was the only I think the only male in the family that saw that saw Lasher and that was considered a witch along with this along with the all the the lady witches. So um, I don't know. I think it's going to be I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how much of how much how far they're willing to go with how awful Cortland is. Cause I also think Cortland's like worse than Julian. I feel like that just from reading it, but I also, I just think inevitably Julian is a little bit more likable of a character because he's more fun than Cortland. And he's, you know, ugh, I don't know, but they're all terrible. <laughs> You're okay. Both of those things are a hundred percent true. They are all terrible first. And that goes for literally all of the Mayfairs, but then also, <laughs> but then also Julian is in the book written to be more sympathetic and likable than Cortland. I think it basically comes down to this. We see inside Julian, both in The Witching Hour and, and again, even in more depth, you see some more stuff in Lasher novel. Um, you kind of see inside Julian. You get a glimpse of, through his diaries and through uh, you know his contemporaries, uh, their reports through the Talamasca files. You get a sense right. of what he was like in his day to day life, and like you know the convivial parts of it, not just his um, you know dark schemes, depravity. Uh, the, you know, yeah, depravity. Right, but Cortland. Cortland, in the novels at least, we don't really see Cortland's inner life. We only see the sort of depraved events that he was connected to. And I don't want to spoil right. that exactly for readers. But yeah, you see. Well, and also like, for the show, I mean, that could Cortland's be coming up. Here in this, well, let's talk about it. Because Well, it already did. It this came up. Well, let's, in the show, the show. What we do see. Yeah. So they bring, so he, Cortland clearly has brought her on purpose. Like he expected her to come. He's baited her with these, you know, he brings in the handsome men, which by the way, I assume that those men were for Cortland at first and then no, they're bait for his niece. Okay, great. Well, isn't it, doesn't then, Lasher tell, basically send her? Loose. Yes, yes. No, Lasher absolutely says what your mother Because Lasher basically like sends her to Cortland. Right. So he sends her to Cortland knowing full well what's about to happen. Yep. What your mother would do on a night like this is put on a fancy dress and go on down to Cortland's house. There's always a party there. Go get fucked by your uncle. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sorry. Okay, so that's the thing. In the novels, it is never explicitly said. It's heavily hinted and implied, and a couple of characters guess at it, that Cortland is actually the father, the biological father of Rowan. Uh, yes. Even though he's in the book, he is also Deidre's biological father. Okay. Yes. So that is not clear <laughs> in this episode. Did you read that? Like, not it's yet. Implied that oh, no. somebody's behind that mask. But I yes, watched but it twice. I, think... I watched it close. There's no hints that that's Harry. No, you're very right. You're very, very right. You were 100% correct. I at first I was like, <laughs> did he did he drug her? Oh, obviously he drugged her when he gave her the the fancy family wine, and and that makes me feel like I mean who else who else would it be? He set he set this whole thing up, <laughs> and Lasher can't do it yet. Lasher can't be in a body like that yet. Exactly. Not like that. Exactly. You know, so it it had to have been Cortland but i mean i also think that that was a really that's a because i'm pretty sure i feel like there was a very strong implication that he had raped her in the book at some point but i could have made that up in my head as being like what obviously in my brain happened to deirdre well, i think I think it's I think it's hinted at much like this that like there's a party and she gets drugged and she's not sure what happened exactly but she, there was somebody in a mask I think it's literally that but then uh, when Michael and Aaron are talking about it Aaron says of course we believe that Cortland is not only the father of X and Y and Z you know but right um, right 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 and and that's what but it's never actually i don't think it's i don't think we see it play out for like f for sure in the novels anywhere anyway 
that scene, I think it's interesting that they kept the ambiguity. It also lets them play a little fast and loose with the whole incest of it all, at least for now. Leave that up to a mystery, potentially. Exactly. You don't have to, like, look it in the eye. <laughs> you don't have to look the incest in the face. Yeah. Also, Harry Hamlin didn't have to climb on top of that poor little actress either, so that's good. Mm, please and thank you. He, that's a uncomfortable age difference. Especially this Harry Hamlin. God, he's so sweaty. Again, his house was so hot too. Carlotta's I get because like she doesn't believe in air conditioning, I'm sure, and she's you know trying right. to let the house burn down. And in the novels, that's even a thing. Right. That she would never allow them to install AC and and you know proper ventilation. Yeah, they have to better. modernize the whole house when they move in. But like, what's Cortland's excuse? Like, he should have the finest AC. He lives in the damn suburbs. Are you fucking kidding me? Why is this house steamy? Ew, he just likes to be sweaty. That's fucking gross. <laughs> Ooh. I'm glad I'm glad he felt as creepy as he did though. And and listen, I thought the snake was too much. <laughs> the snake was a lot. The snake was a lot. <laughs> So from based on the trailers, I thought that this, this was going to be either like a scene where somebody is being seduced by Lasher and, you know, he appears to them in the form of a snake at one moment or something, or it was going to be like drug induced, you know, nonsense. But I think it's just two really fucking rich people laying there cuddling a snake. Yeah, it is. I th really think it is. It's just fucking weirdos, fucking weird rich people with too much time and money on their hands that now have a pet snake. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, um, I want to I wanna point out one line earlier. I missed this when we were just talking about Rowan. I had it written here. She quotes to her uh, tech in that surgery scene that I mentioned that I like so much. She turns as she's walking out of the room. They're talking about the best approach for this shitty doctor that they have to deal with. And she says, just remember, the slow blade penetrates the shield. And the tech doesn't get it. And she says, what does that mean? And Rowan goes, ah, oh, it's something, you know, a boyfriend, you know, this guy told me at a bar one time or something like that. And my wife was like, what does that come from? I immediately got it and got all excited. Rowan fucked a dude that likes Dune one time. That's that's from Dune. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> hilarious. That's from Dune. Excellent. Excellent. Well, here's the thing that's so great about that scene. And it's that every woman that I know that has been in any sort of position where they're jockeying for for power or 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 in any sort of management capacity there's so many times you work with men that in order to get them to agree to anything you have to convince them that what you wanted to do was their idea in the fucking first place and this shows that so well i really appreciate how how and also how fucking creepy the second the uh uh the the stem cell research uh, doctor was like that those are two dudes that women have to fucking deal with all the time that asshole that you have to convince it it's his idea and the dickhead that wants to try to fuck you or pulls his dick out to pee in front of you who does that so many men let, let's talk about the guy who builds an open wall urinal in the middle of his office. Like, what the fuck, homie? What the fuck? What the sad alpha male do you <laughs> think you're doing? What a piece of trash, man. Yuck. That is an HR nightmare. His poor lawyers. I also, I would bet money that that guy can't spell Rodan, by the way. He was like, there's a Rodan. <laughs> got, a, got a good deal on it in an open auction. I'm like, yeah, I bet you can't. I bet you can't fucking spell Rodan. Uh, and quickly, because we've, 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 we have talked long enough about this. Uh, let's call it a masterpiece of, an, of a first episode. I do want to quickly cover, though, they come up a couple of times during the episode. I don't think, did we actually get a name drop? Of the organization here, did we hear the word no. Alaska, or was it just we did not just the agency sort of New Orleans okay. office? We know that they're yes, we know that they're going to call them the Talamasca because the uh, the promotion has used it, and you know there's the number there. They've said the New Orleans office of the Talamasca, et cetera, et cetera. The cards have it on it that we've seen previously, but this card in the show didn't. It was just a, a T, I think, um, a logo. But okay. I'm fine with them building the Talamasca up to be a little bit more spy agency-y than they are in the novel because, very frankly, they're a bunch of old librarians in the novel, uh, in the novels, I should say, and that's not super exciting to see on, uh, you know, TV. I get that. But 
it's weird to me that they they make a big production of this like huge office building and she goes and cranks the wall on the files etc cetera, etc cetera. but then it's that same clerk that comes later in person to grab Cyprian Grieve wherever he is and tell him that Lasher's on the move. So I'm like, there's just the one, the one old <laughs> half blind, half lame clerk hobbling down the hallways <laughs> of this giant building. Like that's a little weird. The, and then the, the other lady thing with really the eye. Back, <laughs> yeah, right. Like what is going on there? I mean, good on you, but I don't. Anyway, that's that was interesting casting. And then secondly, th this is the big thing. How the fuck do they know Lasher's on the move? Like immediately, theoretically, like like they take the necklace off of Deidre. The doctor takes the necklace off, puts it down, and puts Lasher it in her pocket. Goes to see Rowan. Yeah, puts it in her in her pocket, and then Lasher goes to see Rowan. And immediately, she comes to see Cyprian and says, "Lasher's on the move." In what manner is the Talamasca well, tracking Lasher's? She could. She could be psychic. Well, okay, but even if she is, like, like it's the Telemasca. That's, that's could... not the way. That's not the way he works in the book. That's not the way. That's not Dude. the way any of this works in the book. You know. <laughs> Look, I'm gonna give him a cheat on this. This is your cheat code. Old lady with the lazy eye can tell what Lasher's up to. She's like she's like Cerebro for this for the Telemasca, I guess. All by her lonesome. Yeah, or like uh, or like the. Or like the the uh, the the lady in uh, Poltergeist that clears the house, magic. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's it. Um, anyway, I'm I'm willing to roll with the punches with it. I'm excited. I just the unexpected heroes, the unexpected psychic heroes. You know the this organization is very important to our series as well. I say our series like yes. we don't like this one. We're yes. going to love this one. We're going to watch this one. We're going to watch all the series they bring us. Y'all, I'm excited you about know, this our one. Our vampires are going to be directly impacted by the Talamasca. So that is yes. the... That is the biggest aspect of this series that I'm still on pins and needles about how they're going to continue to unfold it. I will say the one thing that we I haven't really thought about Cyprian Grieve no matter what his history with the Talamasca you know unlike Michael who had just been introduced when we um get to know him in the books Cyprian clearly is already a member at least but he might not he he's clearly much younger than Aaron Leitner he's definitely not been with them as long he may not know the history of the Mayfair witches he may not know the stories of the origin and so that may all be revealed to us as it's revealed to the characters directly. And right. so that's kind of exciting to me, I think. Um, the evolution right, of this right. series, as they get past the introduction of Rowan and, and Cyprian, and we sort of get them all stewing together in New Orleans, um, I don't know. I'm sort of excited for where this one might go. It was a rocky start, and I don't think it's going to be my favorite TV show of 2023, like Interview was probably of 2022, but... Uh, still, I'm excited for how this one started. What do you think overall? Oh, I'm jazzed. I'm really, really excited. I, um, I, I was really impressed with the adaptation. I've got to be really honest. Like that's the thing that that has hooked me because I was just I know what a beast this book is, and and to figure out how to nip and tuck and 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 get it into a form that can be delivered in an episodic kind of way. I was really, really interested to see how they were going to do it because I don't think it's as clearly on the table as interview was, like the approach to it. So um, I think that after seeing how they've started and seeing um, Alexandria Daddario's performance, I am pretty excited to see how it goes, you know, to see, um, to see how these characters meet and how they interact like when i'm excited for her to get to new orleans i'm excited to see how she gets to new orleans because we don't have the the link with michael which is one of the things that drove her there she was like oh i've met you and you're from there it all feels very meant to be kind of a thing so i'm very interested to see you know how she finds out about herself and how she you know makes that move south I think that segues us perfectly into the speculation arena, which I want to dive into now. So if you are not a book reader and you don't want to uh, hear any potential spoilers for where this might could go based on our knowledge of the novels, then now's the time to dip out. We appreciate you. Join our Facebook group. Join our Discord community if you'd like to. And uh, make sure you follow the show and your favorite podcast app so that you can get every episode as we drop them. We'll try to drop them by Sunday evening when the uh, episode drops on AMC proper. Um, 
All right, let's dive into some speculation now, Ashley. You oh, right there okay. on that very point. How is she going to get to New Orleans? I, I think we know at the end of this episode how she's going to get to New Orleans. Deidre's not dying. She's coming out of her coma. No. I think Deidre's going to bring her back to New Orleans. Okay, that'll be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. This, doctor, um, think- this doctor's thrown a huge wrench in everything, and he clearly feels like the doctor that Aaron has the conversation with in the book in the very very beginning like the very first thing that happens in the book he feels like that doctor to me like immediately well, that, i was like oh I've, i saw a ghost in new orleans yeah 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 it's absolutely that opening scene except this doctor is going to at least theoretically based on the end of this continue now i mentioned earlier imdb listings the actress uh, that is playing Deidre, uh, whose name escapes me suddenly, um, she is listed in the IMDb listings for four total episodes. Uh, well, she's listed for three, but the pilot is not among them. So she was actually uncredited in this one, apparently. So that would lead me to believe, and also I had forgotten this, but her that, that character appears in one of the trailers in one of the witch circles that we see in one of the trailers. So... Ooh, I, I, I missed think Deidre's that. Deidre's going to be around at least for a while. I think Deidre is going to be the the one who brings uh, Rowan back into the family proper. The interesting thing about that, though, is that that then kicks down the road a little bit further. I mean, she can't be the designee in the center of the family if she if Deidre is still alive. She can't be in control right. of Lasher, really, theoretically, at least. Right. If Deidre's still alive. So it'll be interesting right. to see how they play that. But I, th- I think Deidre's going to stick around longer than she does in the novels. Oh, for sure. I think that, I mean, she she should she should be dead before Lasher shows up on on uh, on Rowan's doorstep. So this is really, like, that part's really interesting to me. Did you notice in the opening credits, the names in the, um, like, in the uh, fading in and out of the wallpaper of the previous witches... So there was Angelique. I caught Angelique. I caught um, uh, Deb. Deb. Did I catch Deborah's name? Like there was just like it, they would flash I didn't in. See those. Mm-hmm, they they would flash in and out, and it was the names of of some of the like classic older witches. Those first the first witches. So um, I think if you've seen, I'm I'm trying to open IMDb right now to see how many of those kind of characters, if any of those, they've cast in roles yet. Because I thought that was really, really interesting. It caught my eye. Because there's 65 people in this damn cast. Caught my eye almost immediately. Like, we do have um, Suzanne, who is listed. That's an old witch. But I don't know if that's the case here. You know what I mean? And uh, we've got some Scott. Wait, we've got Scott. Suzanne's not the first. Suzanne's. Suzanne is the first. Suzanne's the first. She's the one that Lasher calls dumb. Okay. (laughs) He's <laughs> like the dumb, like they call her simple. Like she was just like playing around and accidentally summoned, summoned him. Right. It's kind of how they sort of imply or she was upset, but there's like, uh, yeah, there's, there's some of the, I'm very. And her, and her daughter's. Deborah. Her daughter's the one that then goes with Peter Von Eibel's to uh, the Talamasca and everything. Yes. Yes, and we have Deborah Mayfair uh, listed in an IMDb character role for one episode. So that was just something I caught personally, and it made. So we will at least get the origins of the family. Yeah, it looks like at least a little bit. I think we should all pay attention to the the opening credits of the show because they might change as we go along. I love those things when you get little clues mm. and hints in the in the opening credits. That would be interesting. I strongly agree. I like anything that makes that like worthwhile watching every time, not just repetitive. Like the the Game of Thrones thing, I think is the best example ever because it literally. Oh my god! Yes. What locations you were going to be expecting in this episode? Episode to episode, it's great. Does do you know? Have you been watching House of Dragons? Do they do a similar thing? I haven't yet. I started it and I wasn't in the right mood for it. So I was like, mm, no, I'm not ready for this right yeah. now. And I haven't really gone back to it yet. So I know I will eventually. But yeah, that was one of my freaking favorite things about that show. It was so awesome. Uh, yeah, I haven't. To get those little hints. And it was also beautiful and the music was great. Oh, the music is fantastic for that show, man. Uh, um, I haven't gotten into Game of Thrones, into House of Dragon yet either for that exact same reason. I just got to be in the right mindset. Speaking of mindset, I, ju- I just did finish uh, the first season of The White Lotus. Oh, yes. And I, I don't know that I was in the right mindset for it, honestly. 
it's a good show. It's incredibly well done, but I don't know that I liked it. I mentioned when I, you and I talked about it in the last episode, I think, because I mentioned Alexandria's performance, but she, mm -hmm. she obviously is at the center of that first season. The whole show though is a level of like cringe and I think, I mean, it's purposeful. It's clearly purposely done, but it's just not the kind of thing that I enjoy. So I don't know. Everybody tells me the second season's even better. I am imagining I'm going to watch it because I wanted to watch it, honestly, because it's great TV and everybody says so. It is really well done. It's not going to be in one of my favorite lists, though. So um, I'm hoping that this performance from Alexandria will rise above. I think you'll like the second season better. Well, the second season takes place in Italy, I believe. Yes, it does. And it's very, It's it, 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 it has a... Yeah, it's super fun. I really loved it. It's it's wild. It's a wild ride. It's about horrible rich people. I mean, what what more do we want to laugh at? <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, all right, hey, before we get out of here uh, tonight, I do want to remind you if you're listening to this uh, Monday morning, right after it launches, or late Sunday night, uh, wherever you may be, uh, check us out Monday night on uh, Dorian, the Dorian app. Uh, it's a uh, interactive storytelling. Yeah. We've done a couple of discussion clubs there for Interview with a Vampire. They are officially partnered with AMC again for the Mayfair Witches series. There's going to be new content dropping based on the Mayfair Witches uh, uh, soon in the Dorian app, and they've also partnered with Arcana, which is a different IP entirely, but does have a witchy feel to it. We're going to be talking about witchcraft. We're going to be talking about Mayfair witches specifically. Uh, we're going to be doing a tarot reading, I think, tomorrow night. A tarot reading. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be a little, a little uh, premiere party. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So join us for that. Uh, there will be a link for that in the show notes as well. And uh, we look forward to uh, speaking with you again uh, about the second episode of The Mayfair Witches on AMC and AMC+. Plus. It's all part of AMC's and Rice's Immortal Universe. And we will be here to cover yes. it all. Uh, until the next time that we talk to you, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Ashley. And we are the Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends.